You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. So yeah, perfect day is just like yeah, just getting, just being out there. I think is the most important piece of a perfect day, making sure that you've you've really paid attention to where you are. Um, everything from the aesthetic of where you are to I don't know for me it's even uh, somatic so it, it's like how you're feeling in your body so you know you'll notice right away like at least I do for fishing like my breathing slows down automatically and that there's just this sense of 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 relaxation that you're only thinking in the moment you, you know if if my only concern of the day is what fly to try next then that is a perfect day because my attention is drawn only to basically a funneled vision of what's happening in in the world in front of me in the water welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers, Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us. We're going to do what we always do each and every week on this show. Talk to passionate people in the world of fly fishing. And we are going to head out to British Columbia, Canada. And I got to be honest, I don't know exactly where in BC, but Kat's going to tell us. We've got Kat. <laughs> on the fly, Kat Mulski. Um, she's an avid fly fisher, and um, I just I noticed that you're doing some work with with Brent and the guys at Wait for It Films. You've got some some vids you're doing for Fishing BC, and I just know that you're you're chasing it pretty hard in the province of British Columbia. Kat, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Oh man, yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I'm so pumped. So let's talk about, I always like to hit the rewind button. I know you spent a lot of time on the water with your bulldog and your dad. Talk mm-hmm. to me about where you discovered fly fishing. So rewind it back to the beginning for you. How did the journey into fly fishing start? Yeah, it's funny, actually. I'm, I have been digging up some old photographs, uh, family wise for, you know, a myriad of reasons. And, uh, actually I came across a fishing trip photo from 1982 today, uh, to date myself, I would have been only a year old at that time. And this photo is of my dad and I in a boat, uh, headed off the coast of Pender Island. I swear that's like my basically (laughs) like baby baby's first fishing trip. Right. And, um, yeah, I just think that fishing has naturally always been, uh, in particular on my dad's side of the family, um, from a young age, but fly fishing for me probably started a lot into probably like early twenties, probably when I first got my pontoon boat, like dad was kind of, he was like, well, if you're serious about getting into fly fishing, then, you know, I'll hook you up with like a cheap little rod and 
let's get you a little boat so you can kind of do your thing and I'll take you out and kind of show you how to do a few things. And mm. it kind of just spurned from there. But before then we were pretty, we were pretty relegated to like the Vetter river, did a lot of uh, gear fishing for years, like fished a lot for, for spring and, and coho and still do, but right. um, just different fisheries now. So, oh, I mean, the open yeah. doing still water for us has just like opened up such a different, um, just different fishing too, right? Like our motivation for, for fishing when we did in my early twenties, we definitely harvested fish, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, within regulation obviously, but just like, yeah, it was just a different type of fishing. And, uh, now it's, you know, it's, we don't harvest fish anymore just for personal reasons and don't really need to keep fish. So we're definitely love and catch and release and love right. to let them go and grow. Right. So. Well, and how busy is that fishery become in the lower mainland? I mean, I, I know I used to, I'm, I'm older than you, but we used to, yeah. we used to hit the vetter and the shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. You the... hit it super hard. Like it's, oh, man. and it's, it's hard because it's, you know, like people don't, the fisheries are limited, right? Like it's, you know, you're only allowed to fish certain areas, certain times, um, you know, a lot of it's controversial and some of it, you know, I can't really speak to because I don't know enough about it. Um, but I do know that, you know, I understand the shoulder to shoulder stuff because we're, we're relegated to only certain places to fish, right? Mm. Like you can't, you can't just go lots of different places if you, if you can't. And obviously people are limited by, you know, gear, where they can go, cars, how they access. It's, it's interesting, but, uh, yeah. Kat, is that something that you are kind of drawn to on the still water? Because you got a lot more space out there. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'll drive miles if I know I can, if I can find myself on a lake by myself. Absolutely. Mm. I'd be, I'd be willing to drive out of the lower mainland as far as five hours. If that means that I'm going to be by myself on a lake. I see it. I see it every day. I'll ask, I'll ask somebody beside me on the lake where you're from. And it's usually, it's usually a lot further away than I am. Yeah. Um, You know, so if you had to look back on your history of fly fishing so far to date, um, let's throw some influences. Obviously your dad's been a big part of that, but um, maybe speak to that. Who, who has kind of influenced you along the way in the world of fly fishing? Yeah. Um, I definitely like when I first got into fly fishing, you know, dad was paying really close attention to a lot of what was going on, like locally, um, you know, through go fish BC, like through freshwater fisheries and, um, you know, local fly shops. And I think, you know, it was kind of a byproduct listening to what he was reading and listening to ended up kind of being what I was first introduced to. So a lot of it was around the entomology pieces around, you know, what Brian Chan was discovering and talking about in terms of what's going on with lakes uh, Phil Rowley, big time, you know, like understanding, uh, lakes and how to fish them properly. Um, you know, and it was interesting cause when I joined, uh, the social media world of fishing, probably, uh, I guess like a year and a half ago, I came across, uh, April Vokey's Instagram and I was just like, holy smokes, like this chick's out there. She's doing this amazing stuff. You know, she's fishing with a baby on her back, like <laughs> just doing all these amazing things that I was just like, man, like I could, you know, it's not everything I want to do, but there's aspects to, to this, to this lifestyle and, and this, you know, I don't even want to call it a sport because it's definitely evolved past sport for me. Like it's, it's a a way of knowing being doing right. So, Mm. um, so for me, like just seeing what April was doing was huge. And then, you know, about a year ago, dad had been in Michael and young, uh, fly shop just in the lower mainland and, 
had been talking a lot with uh, Kat Laflamme, who's uh, one of the one of the managers of the store, and he was like, you know, my daughter would be really interested in, you know, just trying to broaden the fly fishing horizons, right? Because he's like, oh, she doesn't want to fish with her old man all the time. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I got hooked up with uh, the BC Women's Fly Fishing Group, um, and that that to me really opened up a lot of access in terms of just different fisheries, different ways of fishing, uh, all fly fishing, but just just different experiences and kind of having that camaraderie. So Kat Laflamme and, and Jill Steele out of High Water Tackle were, were huge influences. You know, these girls are killing it. These women are extremely uh, not only knowledgeable, but they're just phenomenal uh, anglers, awesome. phenomenal anglers. And well, so they were just, you know, you just stand there going like, whoa, like hanging out with like superstars. That's how I felt. Well, you're naming some names there. Um I, I love April's show. I, I, I love yeah, what she does. Yeah, love, Anchored. Anchors is great. It. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's so real. I, uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I can't say enough good things about that. And then honestly, that was one of the first, I mean, when podcasts first came out, there wasn't that many. And then her show came out, and I'm like, yeah, okay, she gets it. It's like yeah. the story behind the story. And she just, um, you just feel like a buddy when you're listening to her chat. So, yeah, good stuff. Let's. I want to take some time to get to know you off the water. Are you ready for a few questions that may or may not have a whole lot to do with 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 fly fishing? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's talk tunes. So, when you're headed to your favorite still water or moving water, wherever you're headed in your vehicle to uh, do a little fishing in, in the province of British Columbia, what is playing in the stereo? Oh man. You know what? It's honestly usually contextual. It depends on like if I'm by myself or if I'm in the car with someone else. Um, I grew up with some pretty big musical influences between both my parents. Uh, you know, like if I was in the car with my mom growing up, uh, it was like Annie Lennox and Phil Collins and um, oh man, she was a huge Anya fan and just like, and she was into the <laughs> classical, she was big in the classical. So I got this like really cool musical education growing up. And then my dad, He's been playing in a band for like, I don't know, since he was like 15. And so he was all, you know, classic rock. So we're like sitting in there listening to like, you know, it was Beatles or the Stones or, you know, Dave Clark Five. Like he was all, was, everything was just like very much classic rock based. So I kind of got this mix. And so when I drive with dad, lately it's been actual silence. Like we do a lot more talking. We have a lot of conversations about like, uh, well, philosophical ones around fishing or just like things that we're kind of working through right now as a family as, you know, um, I lost my mom in February. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So just like if we are listening to music, it's, uh, it's usually a mix. Like he's not, oh my goodness, growing up, I would have listened to like NWA, all the nineties hip hop. So my dad would always like walk by my room being like, turn off that ticky ticky boom music. Like literally that's what he would call it, Mark, like the ticky ticky boom music. Um, <laughs> and, and I loved it cause I got big into turntablism, like in my early twenties, like I ended up selling my turntables, uh, to get into teacher's college. It was, it was a sad day. Um, but yeah, going back to the music, it was, you know, dad won't listen to the rap, but he'll listen to like, he'll listen to other rock music and stuff with me, or I usually keep the classics on for him, but we usually chat. And then if it's myself, yeah, I'll definitely be listening to like old school hip hop things that like I would have, I would have gone to a lot of concerts in like my early twenties, um, back when like, you know, I, I lived in North, Van I lived, grew up in North Vancouver. So going downtown Vancouver was pretty quick. And 
back when you could see musical acts for less than like 20 bucks. Um, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd go see, you know, in, in hip hop world, like I'd go see big names like KRS one hieroglyphics, souls of mischief, like J Rue, the damage like all that stuff is like, that's ingrained, but then Gangstar, like lots of just big, big hip hop fan. Like I love that stuff. I'm mm. not a big fan of like hip hop as much today. I definitely love my classics, like company flow. There's like just big, even necro, like there's certain aspects to hip hop that I miss that isn't here anymore with the music now, but it's just, it's just a different genre now I find. So I go back to the old school when I'm in the car. (laughs) You sound like music's a pretty big part of your life though. Yeah. Music's always been a big part of my life, whether it's listening or creating. I was a big band geek, like in high school, like I used to do like concert band, jazz band, concert choir, jazz choir. Like I was in, I was pretty involved um, throughout my high school. I, I was playing the the violin painfully, I think from like grade four till about grade 10. And I got so tired of it because it wasn't really cool to be in strings, you know, like I, <laughs> I have such an appreciation for orchestra and orchestral music. Um, love it. Um, but playing it, I was like, oh man, like my dad even was like painfully sitting through, I think a few violin concertos that he was just like, why, why, why? So I, taught myself over a summer um, how to play the trumpet just so I could join jazz band in grade 11 to go on like the band trip. And then it just like snowballed from there. I, I played trumpet right into like early college and yeah. then uh, got busy with other things. So. Well, it sounds like dad's big into the music scene. What uh, is there anything you play to this day or have you kind of taken a step back? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I know where my trumpet is, like it's deep in storage somewhere, like um, <laughs> the, um, the embouchure is gone, like it would take a while to get back, but no, the person, the biggest person in the family that's, that's still playing right now is dad, like it's, it's kind of fun, you know, with him still playing the guitar, he was in a band for a while there, and then, uh, yeah, he's just been kind of getting slowly back into it, because I mean, guitar is the same thing, right, like you lose it, the more you step away from it so he's got to get all his um uh, mm-hmm. i'm losing my train of thought here but basically like on your hands you know like your your yeah. hands need to be it's like retrained. a memory yeah yeah yeah, sure. yeah a lot of memory and just like uh even just like the calluses are gone right so he has to rebuild up the calluses on his hands yeah it's interesting That's so fair. yeah <laughs> let's take it to the water one go-to fly pattern on Stillwater in BC that you can't live without. So if you were limited to one pattern, I know that's a crazy question, but what do you tie it on? Is and it isn't though. Like what, it's, what you, <laughs> Im- you... immediately the go-to is always like an egg sucking black leech pattern. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And like, not like your typical like bugger body. I would say like, it's almost like a rabbit tailed, um, with like that orange tungsten, like you got to have like just some kind of like a tiny bit of flash, but nothing too crazy. Hmm. I don't know. There's just something about that that wiggles just the right way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I've had like, I've had fishing, like I've almost had a full season with that pattern on certain lakes uh, in the interior in BC. And it's, it's always a go-to. Like I've always kind of had this rule that it's sort of like, well, okay. When you look at the patterns, of you know flies and what's working throughout your different seasons and bugs and paying attention to the water it's like if a trout's not going to take a black leech 
you know, like I kind of have that extremist where it's like, if they're not going to take this, they're not hungry. Right. Which is, you know, it's Mm -hmm. semi, it's semi true, you know, if you're paying attention, but, uh, no black, black leech for sure. If I, if I couldn't fish anything else. Oh yeah. Is there a place that you go to talk fly fishing? So when you're not, you know, on your favorite Stillwater or you're not at the tying bench, where do you get your fix in the world of fly fishing? Oh, it's kind of everywhere. So like literary is big. Um, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I discovered obviously the, the writings of Roderick Haig Brown and, um, use a lot of that actually in some of my current writing, um, so that's a big fix. Like I go back to it. I literally read his seasons, like his fisherman's fall, like every fall and read fisherman's winter mm-hmm. and dream about like the time of in, in some way, shape or form the bucket list to get out there and, you know, fish tarpon and, and do the bucket list, like dream fish, you know? Um, but I also, you know, go to the local fly shops, like Muckle and Young's usually a great stop. And for me, love it. Love the staff. Um, sea run in Coquitlam is great too. The guys and, 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 uh, staff there are always really knowledgeable and have always been really helpful. Um, you know, cause it's sometimes intimidating, like when you first start, um, in fishing and you got to go to the shop and you're sort of like, you know, you want to ask questions. You don't want to look dumb though. So <laughs> I think we've know. got a lot better with that though. Cause I know I, mean, I agree. I worked I agree. in a fly shop for years and I, I, there's a, there used to be this attitude. And yeah. I, th- I think for the most part that's gone. That's gone. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely has. I, I find like, I, I have been in shops before, like where they'll talk to my dad, but they won't ask me like, that's been kind of an interesting spin, but it yeah. hasn't happened. It hasn't happened too often. Um, you know, but for the most part, you know, I usually try and go in knowing what I'm looking for, but, um, I just, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I think that, you know, the staff are extremely knowledgeable in the places that I go to. So mm-hmm. I, I trust what they're going to tell me because they know, they know way more than I do. So, <laughs> so are you a sports gal? Like, is there a team? I always like to go down the sports avenue. Is there, um, <laughs> so in, funny. whether it's professional, <laughs> college, is there a, is it hockey, football? Is there a team that you follow, Kat? Mm, you know what? I used to be a really big Seahawks fan, like for years. I've been holding out for those guys to just like get their act together or for better lack of like words, like just get their poop in a group and it's just not happening. <laughs> um, they're poop in a group. I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, get, well get this is a tough year. This is a tough year. It is. It is a really tough year. Uh, Dad's That's a tough the division, a man. That's a crazy oh, yeah. tough division. It is. I don't know enough um, because I'm pretty much I'm watching for entertainment purposes. I haven't educated myself enough in in, in <laughs> NFL world, but. Uh, yeah, the Seahawks would have been my go-to. I'm, you know, though I'm kind of just partial to the aesthetic. As as vapid as that sounds, I want to say like, you know, I love the the neon yellow green with the navy. I just think that, <laughs> that this is this is a this is a great uniform team. But you know, I also liked it, a lot of the players over the years too. Or is it shark? It's just a different team. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, right? Is yeah. it? You made me um, laugh when you said my dad's yelling at the TV a lot. Oh yeah, it, he's yelling at the TV a lot yeah. for sure. Because he's in, he's into it. Like when he's watching it, he's like, "That's that, that's the world, right?" You get but, Russell uh, back, you guys would be okay. I I think so, but just like any other team, like you know, uh, 
God, Tom at least had his Gronk, and I don't know who who our friend in the Seahawks has, you know, like, and one person can't carry a team. So that's all kind of all I have to say about that one. But yeah, that would have been the go-to team. But I, you know what, honestly, like I think the college ball that's being played is honestly way better <laughs> than okay. most, it, than it, most Russ NFL has ta- teams. Russ and, has Lockett. That's who he's yeah, got. Yeah, that's true. He does that's have Lockett. But um, I don't know. I, I, the only aspect to sports that I usually enjoy the most is like, like the American bandstand. Like I actually enjoy listening to the bands play at the games. I think they're awesome. Oh yeah. I know that sounds nerdy, but I love that stuff. That adds a really cool atmosphere and I have not been to a college game. It's on my list, but Phil, you know, biggest lesson that you've learned in your fly fishing journey. So if you had to distill down your biggest takeaway from the world of fly fishing, what it brings to you personally, could you do that? Oh man, that's, that's a big question. Um, I still feel like it, it's something that I haven't learned yet. If that makes sense. Like fly fishing, it's not just, you, you don't just go out and fish. Like it's an overall, like it's visceral. It's an, it's a, it's an aesthetic. It's a, there's a, there's a big experience behind any time that you're going out fishing, whether it's just whether it's with yourself or with friends or, um, and experiencing it and learning every time seems to be kind of par for the course. So I don't, I think that I'm still learning or in the process of learning what my biggest lesson is. I know that sounds ambiguous, but it's just, yeah, no, I, it's, I get it. so, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there's so much humility every time you go on a lake, for example, Um, although I have to say the biggest humility that's been handed to me is usually in the river systems. Like I have had some real doozies like in the past year on the river, like just things that you're learning that you're just like, I'm never doing that again. Or, um, you know, much more like immediate practical versus philosophical. If that, if that makes sense, like my, my practical lessons. Oh yeah. Um, like don't be using felt bottomed weighted boots in the Lillooet. That's a great lesson. Uh, <laughs> Cause I did like, I was doing full Olympic breaststroke last February in the Lillooet. And that was early day. Like that was literally like first stop of the day. And I was like, wow, I'm going to be sitting in this all day. So are those rocks super greasy? I have not. Oh yeah. That system. Okay. Yeah. Super greasy. Hmm. Um, you know, and, <laughs> and so you're just like, okay, like, be better prepared or, you know, just know not to move so damn quickly (laughs) and make sure that your phone's in a waterproof pocket, you know, just like that's the easy practical stuff. (laughs) Whereas like the bigger lessons are usually around, like for me, at least personally, um, losing the competitiveness around fishing, right? Like the fact that, um, and it's usually competitiveness with yourself, right? Like it's almost like golf, right? Like golf's a game against yourself. And I think that fishing's not a game, but a lot of the times, you know, there's nothing worse sometimes if you're out on a lake and there are other people and you're watching them catch and they're catching consistently and you're sitting there just damn skunked. Oh yeah. And you're like, We've all what been a, there. like there's nothing worse because it's just like, okay, I can't look, I can't look, I can't look. You know, you're trying to put blinders on because you're just like, I can't look. I'm the worst because if we're in the boat together, like if dad and I are fishing together and I'm, I'm always looking over, I'm like, oh yeah, but, but he's got another fish on. Dad's like, don't tell me. He's like, I don't want to (laughs) know. Right. And so like just letting go of that, you know, um, 
there's there's not going to be just one exact right fly that's going to catch that fish in that lake. Um, and to be, I don't know, another big one that came this year was just like being really genuinely and authentically um, happy for other people's successes on the water. Oh yeah. That's a big right? one. Like that's, that, a big that's a one huge one. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I've, I've had the, I've had the honor to, to experience watching someone else, like my friend Nikki, who caught like her first, like huge, like trophy, like interior trout. Right. And it's funny because I remember that moment a few years ago when I had that myself and it was a big damn deal. And there were tears because it's like, this is, this is a huge deal to, to catch something like this and to, to be witness to this before you're going to let it go back. Mm. And, um, you know, it's not that I take for granted cat catching large trout, but you know, you, you, if you're fishing the interior a lot, um, you know, you're sort of like, Oh, you know, like there's another nice, like, you know, nice, like five pounder, you know, nice, like 20 to 24 inches, like beautiful trout, you know, you have an appreciation for all of them, but it is just, there's nothing more, uh, you know, there's just nothing better than watching someone else experiencing that for the first time and, and enjoying seeing them catch that. Like, that's just a big yeah. deal. No, I think so that was, that that's was a big, that's a big deal for me too, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to fish with people that aren't happy for other people. Like, it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. No, no uh, bad, no bad days. Like yeah. when it comes to the water, like, and honestly, yeah, you get skunked and I don't know, there's some, there's, that's the bigger lesson of the fly fishing that I think I'm just getting at is that you go out and you just, you, you have to have an appreciation for the land that you're on, you know, that you have the privilege to be on the land and be able to enjoy time on water that, you know, will gift you hopefully <laughs> some sentient being that's going to come and look you in the eye and hope that you're going to let them back. Right. Like that's, mm-hmm. it's just, that's a part of the, the, the aesthetic, but the visceral too. And I think that, you know, just even being, uh, in awe of even the topography, like where you are, right. Like, uh, one of my favorite places to fish is usually in the Skagit system be mainly because of the Hazamine mountains. Like I can't get over those mountains. That is one of my favorite views because it's just, it's just beautiful. And what's fun is that, you know, you're looking up at those and you know that somebody is looking at them, but from like the Southern side of those, right. Mm, There's someone on the Washington side that's looking up and seeing kind of the same silhouette, but from another side. And I just Mm. think that that kind of puts in perspective just how like, (laughs) yeah, I like that, you know, how small we are. Like we're just, yep. you know, you're, you're a part of a way bigger system. Ants, um, ants but on just, an anthill. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's just an appreciation for, um, the privilege of being in those areas and being able to access that. Mm. Um, yeah, because I feel like, uh, with my mom, when she was alive, she, she struggled with extreme chronic illness. And a lot of that came from having to have routine uh, hip operations, replacements. And so I had to witness what it looks like to lose accessibility through the eye, like through my mom's experience. And so to me, it is a privilege, uh, you know, as an able-bodied person to be able to get out there. And why wouldn't you as much as you can? It's crazy how fast that able-bodied can be taken from you without even realizing it. And yeah, you know, the older you get, the more I I realize that I I see buddies with knee replacements and hip replacements that can't, can't do what they used to. They can't get in the damn boat. 
Well, yeah, like, the mobility is yeah. just not there, right? Like yeah. dad has his own issues with his, he had a hip replacement a while ago too, but just like, um, yeah, just losing that, that aspect of, you know, uh, yeah, just losing, losing your accessibility hmm. because of the lack of mobility is, is something that is kind of in the back of my mind in the sense that it's like, if you have the opportunity to go and you can do this, then then there are way bigger things to be grateful other than not catching fish for the day. That is really well put. Hey, yeah. when, when you said uh, fishing with Nikki, that wouldn't be Nikki that was on the show as in it's me, Nikki, would it? That is, that is Nicole Gatter. Ah, yes. I, I wondered yeah. that. So you guys are buddies. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's interesting. So the, the social media aspect of like when I first joined Instagram, uh, for fishing, like I had had a regular Instagram account that was just personal, um, for a few years. And then I was like, you know, I'm getting into fishing. Maybe this might be a way of connecting with like, like I'll just make a fishing account and see what happens. And it was funny because the first couple of pictures I posted, um, the amount of DMS around, uh, if you just painted your nails black, then you wouldn't scare the fish away. Like, I'm not joking. Like, these were actual messages that were sent to me very early on about, mm. like, just, like, an aesthetic. Like, basically what they were seeing in the photo. Because, um, yeah, I, I still have acrylic nails. And I seem to like my chartreuse yellow, my neon. <laughs> um, and I love it. Like, that's just right. my thing. Um, and uh, I was like, damn. Like, I was so... I was really discouraged, Mark. I'm not going to lie. Like I almost, I almost quit fishy Instagram before well, that's what I, you take I even out of had it. a follower. I was like, oh man. So then I like tried to follow people. Like I said, like I started following April and then you start following like similar accounts. Cause you're hopeful that you're going to find kind of people that are in alignment with sort right. of what you're into. Sure. And, um, you know, yeah, Nikki and I connected over Instagram and it was funny cause we were like, okay, well, you know, we should we should get together for a fish right but it's always funny because you're sort of like well they seem cool but remember it's instagram so you never know like for sure if this person's going to be legit so i think we both safely agreed that we'd try and fish some little like back pond creek like <laughs> in our neighborhood just to kind of suss out whether or not we were both yeah, okay fair. with each other and it was it was hilarious we had a great time and then uh yeah just kind of started to get fishing together and then had that opportunity uh, arise uh, an invitation from Brent through fishing BC to to go fish up in Princeton together so that was huge like it's just such a privilege that's cool I'm mm -hmm. surprised Nikki didn't warn you and say hey you don't want to go on that show you don't want to you no you don't no want to do she that. said Mark's a real cool guy you're gonna really enjoy talking to Mark that's what she said her <laughs> words for real <laughs> okay yeah. we'll go with that um <laughs> so we're chatting tonight with Kat Molsky, Cat on the Fly. Check her out on Instagram. She is a teacher by day, avid fly fisher, um, been doing some really good things in the province of BC, and uh, really stoked that you're on the show today. I want you to fill in the blank for me, Kat. When, sure. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Oh, taking photographs. Or trying to finish my doctorate. <laughs> okay, tell me, tell us about this. Uh, doctorate in in what? Education. Uh, yeah, in educational practice. Yeah, um, yeah. I started the work about six years ago, and just the research ended up kind of uh, forming into its own kind of memoir, and that's 
um, kind of where I've landed is that I've written a doctorate in the form of a memoir. And most of it is fishing stories interlaced with how those stories uh, are teachings um, alongside the teachings that I learn about life uh, through my work as an educator. I and, sense a book um, in the works back there. Like, it would like, be kind of cool. Yeah. I thought about it. Um, yeah, it'd be really cool. Uh, what would be even cooler is if I can just get this finished. I'm so close. Like I'm just on the precipice of um, committee meetings and a few other pieces. So it's just like, you know, you, you know, you're so close and you can taste it. Like it's kind of at that part, but it's the kind of work that I'm, I'm ready to put down now. So it, it's time to, hmm. to get this finished. So where, where are you taking your doctor? What's cool? Uh, through Simon Fraser University. Right on. Um, SFU. yeah, yeah. An SFU kid, actually. I never intended to be, but, uh, ended up doing the majority of my schooling through them. Did my bachelor's and then, uh, moved through into my education year. I worked, um, my teaching practicum. I actually traveled. I went to Trinidad, Tobago and lived down there for about half a year and, um, taught down there and then came back up and started my work in the lower mainland right away. And, then went through a graduate diploma, finished my master's. Like, I don't think a, there's been a time since 1999 that I haven't been in school. It's time mm. for a break. <laughs> you gotta have, and, and you gotta have good snow tires to go up that hill, right? <laughs> yeah. Luckily, um, luckily most of the work that I did from my master's onward was at the Surrey campus. So that was a little bit easier to oh. get to, but okay. yeah, I agree. That's definitely like, it becomes a four by situation basically after the first snow. <laughs> and that's Very funny. That. That is some nasty snow. That is some wet. Oh yeah, it's it's not fun snow. It's yeah, Yeah. it's it's danger zone, danger zone. So yeah, no. So that's the work. But I I work for you, Simon Fraser, on the side as well, like working as a sessional instructor. So it's been fun, kind of get different aspects of working for the university, and then working in the public system. So, Hmm. good stuff. Yeah. Best. And maybe you just alluded to it. Best job you've ever had. Like, are you doing it now? Or is it something you plan to do with your doctorate? What's, um, you know, not without slamming anything you're currently doing. Best, no, no. Best job. I think I'm in it. I, I do. Like, despite the challenges, like, it, you know, I, I, I think this is my 17th year as an educator. And, um, yeah, I think that it's a privilege and it's, there's a lot, there's just continued learning. Like there's not, I was talking about this with a colleague the other day, like, cause we're both kind of like, we half joke about like, you know, book club 2.0, you know, like we're ready, <laughs> ready for another <laughs> career because there are some really, really hard days and, um, and wellness, you know, being, being really careful about how you take care of yourself is kind of a key as to longevity in this type of career. Um, cause unfortunately for the most part, and i paint this really broadly I have to say educators like we we're kind of martyrs like we don't we don't take very good care of ourselves and so that's kind of what spurned the doctorate work and uh, I was talking with a friend and I just said you know like this is the only career I've ever had where every day is different like there's not a single day where everything is going to go the exact same like not talking like Truman show or anything like that, where it's just like, everything's tickety boo, but just Mm -hmm. there, there's certain rhythms to the day that are obviously the same, but you know, in any aspect of human development, when you're working with children and when you're working with other adults in a building, like it's complex and the contexts are always different and differentiated. So 
you find that every day, yeah, that kind of is what adds to the excitement of the work. And I think that's what keeps a lot of us coming back, but also it adds to the tiredness of the work. Right. Yeah. So I know, I know exactly what you mean. My dad yeah. was a teacher and, and yeah. eventually a principal and he got his master's in education from uh, Gonzaga actually. But, um, I know, exa- cool. I know exactly, I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to listen to it every day. I know. And, uh, so, I'm yeah. curious. Okay, so we just did your best job. What's your worst job? What is the worst gig you have had? God, I was really lucky um, that I didn't. I kind of bypassed service industry work, um, mostly by choice, uh, because I got into um, like I always kind of stick stuck around instructional pieces. So like probably the only service work I ever did was like a first job in like a tiny little restaurant, kind of like food court, um, in North Vancouver. It doesn't exist anymore, but, um, I don't know. I wouldn't even call that worst. Like it was just sort of like the first job, right. Um, mm-hmm. everything else has been instructionally based. So basically as soon as I could, I volunteered for the rec centers and I got into like doing kids birthday parties. And then I was teaching like toddler t-ball, like you look through any rec center um, manual that has to do with programs for kids ages, basically six months to two years. I have probably taught all those classes. Like it's hard to believe, but yeah. (laughs) That's kind of, and and a lot of fun, a lot of fun, but like definitely challenging when, you know, you got like, you taught soccer to like toddlers all morning and then you had to supervise like some kid's seventh birthday and the parents had brought like, orange juice and milk as their drinks and then had ordered pizza. And you're just like, this is going to go down like lead, <laughs> like a lead brick. Like this is, this, this is a bad, this, bad idea. This could like, be bad. this is going to be bad with a whole, whole bunch of kids, you know, like running around like in tornadoes. Right. So you're just like, Oh man. So, you know, you knew two hours would pass and you'd be done with it. Right. But it was still really good money considering how old I was. And then I got my Cassie level one and two and worked on the mountains for years. Um, I got into teaching snowboarding. I was a snowboard instructor for years um, and then volunteered and worked as a snowboard instructor and trainer for VAS, which still exists. They're um, Vancouver Adaptive Snow Sports. So they work with anyone and everyone who requires um, that extra help with um, adaptive equipment in order to get people on the hill. So people Mm. in wheelchairs, they're snowboarding. People with, you know, people with no limbs, they're snowboarding or skiing. So there's amazing stuff being developed out of Colorado that's been adapted for Vancouver here. Uh, Whistler Wasp is their program up there. They got great stuff. So cool. yeah, I was really lucky. I, it's, I I feel privileged to say that I haven't really had like a crap job. <laughs> you you seem like you got a lot going on over there. Like I, I'm, I'm curious in, in the, okay, let me throw this at you, Kat. What's, sure. what's the end game with fly fishing for you? Like, is it, you know, it seems like it's a big part of your life. It seems like outdoor sports in general is a big part of your life. But what what is the end game with fly fishing? Do you want do you want to maybe guide in retirement? Do you want to uh, you know talk to me about that? Um, I don't really have an end game with fly fishing. I don't think it exists for me. Like I know, uh, I want to fly fish and continue to enjoy it because it's a huge passion of mine. I, I'm at a point where fly fishing for me is intricately intertwined with my wellness. Like I need, Ooh, I need to I be like that. I like yeah, that. Like, 
I need that to be, yeah. Like I need that to be a part of who I am, what I do, um, more so for myself than anything else. Um, there, I will, I, I will guaranteed Mark, I will spend a lifetime continuing to learn how to fish. Like I, I, Mm -hmm. there's no, I feel the same way. Like the, the attitudes around that. And I think there, there are some really close parallel, like parallels, parallelism, sorry, trying to get that word out, um, to the work with the doctorate. Cause like in teacher land, you know, like even 10 years ago, it was like, Oh, you get your master's and you like get out of teaching, go into admin. And it's like, I I don't want to do that kind of job because that's not where I'm effective. And that's not where I see being able to affect change. Like I enjoy being around kids. I enjoy yeah. working, working with kids, Boots but I on also, the floor. Boots on yeah, the floor. but I also really enjoy working with teachers so that they can see a different way of being able to work with the children that they have. And when I do that, like if I work with one teacher that affects change with up to 30 kids. So that's where I see my efficacy, like work wise. And so, you know, when teachers are like, Oh, you're going to get your doctorate, you know, like, what are you going to do next? Like, you're going to go work at the university, right. And like, leave this behind. And I'm thinking like, no, like I've, I've already worked at the university. I've, I've had a great privilege of working in, in the university and, and working in the white tower is not, you know, it's not all what it's cut up to be. It's still bureaucratic. It's still an organization. Um, and I don't see that I evoke change in the same way as if I'm in actual practice at all times, which is the most important part. So fishing's the same for me. Like if I'm not out there constantly learning and pushing myself to, to learn new things. And, you know, like I said, I'm going to spend a lifetime even just in BC alone with the amount of water that we have here. Like that's, that's the privilege we have living in BC because you're just like, man, like next year I'm going to go here and here and here. Cause you know, I am limited in terms of my time because of my vocation. I can't just, you know, like get up and leave and go fishing. So it's, you know, as much as I would love to, I'd like to figure out the like be paid, but still fish (laughs) and not work. (laughs) I think everyone does. I think we're all trying to figure that out. But that's not a reality, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. so like if you're limited to, you know, basically April through, you know, basically we we pushed our still water just a little extreme this last weekend in Merritt. Um, but, you know, you're basically, your end game for still water is at the end of October, early November. Um, what can I do in like those five to six months for just still water? You know, and then a year ago I get waders and I'm like, whoa, this is like snowboarding. This is like the never summer. Like now I can go (laughs) fish all the time. Yeah. Right. Whereas before I would have just lake fished and called Mm -hmm. it a day and waited and watched everyone tie flies because I I haven't learned how to tie just yet. Um, You said a lot of things in the last little bit that resonated with me, kind of knowing where you're effective. Like mm-hmm. when it comes back to your, to your day job, knowing where you're effective and being comfortable with that. Cause I think a lot of us aren't It's like, we need to get to that next step. But if you're really good at what you do, keep freaking doing that. And, and yeah. when it comes to fly fishing, we don't know it all. Nobody knows it all. You just keep no. learning as you go. And it's, it strikes me as that you like the journey. It seems like you're kind of all in yeah. on the journey right now. Yeah. Like this is, you know, I, I hesitate whenever the word expert is used or thrown around, like I do believe in the word and I do believe that it can be used in certain contexts, but I, I I would hazard that there's, you know, you're always, you always got to be learning, Mm. but that's my, that's my mindset. 
Yeah, so it's, a, it's I'm, funny. I'm always going to be looking for that. Expert is a funny word. Like, um, there's the Instagram expert, and then there's the yeah. expert. It's like people are asking me what fly rods to use, and I'm like, man, I'm a crappy caster. I catch some fish once in a while, but if you want to know the truth, I'll tell you what I think. But it's not. I'm no expert on that. It's like um, maybe talk to somebody that comes on this show. But oh uh, yeah, even then, you know, like you, what you think is working great, someone else is like, well, that's crap. Like yeah. the other day. Someone was like, oh, man, those moonshine rods, they're crap. And I'm sort of like, oh, man, I'm having so much fun with, like, my 10-foot five weight right now. <laughs> like, I, I, how, right? how much do you love the 10-foot over the nine, nine and a half? Uh, so I bought it specifically just for chronomid fishing. And I have to say, being a shorter person, like, I mean, I'm not super short, but just, like, I don't know, just having the extra grab and pickup, holy smokes, yeah, game changer. So I didn't know you're, do you, you're a supporter of the Moonlit Rods? I just bought one. Like I, okay. I had seen them. I had just seen them advertised and I was sort of like, well, they look cool. And it was one of those things where every fishing store I had gone to at the time, this was back in the spring, I had made a decision like I'm investing in a Cronman rod and that's it. Cause most of it was out of selfishness, Mark. I was like, I don't want to keep setting up my float line that I have set up on another rod. I don't want to have to keep setting it up with an indicator. I just want to call it a day. Like I just want one setup for this and that's it. So I, I had saved up some pennies and I was like, all right, well, what am I going to buy? So I kept going into the fishing stores and they're like literally laughing at me because they're like, yeah, the, the, the 10 foot five weight does not exist right now because it's, you know, COVID backstock, uh, good luck basically. And I was like, <laughs> oh man. So quite frankly, um, moonshine dad had been looking at and was sort of like, yeah, they look decent. Like let's try them out kind of thing. And the shipping was really fast and we were like, okay. So, you know, it was much more out of convenience than sort of like, oh, you know, like this is an amazing rod. Like what just, it works for me. Right. Like how's the action on that rod? I'm really curious. Cause I, I was looking at those, I ended up buying a linear off of, yeah. Brand. That's and awesome. They're got, such great rods. I'm an Orvis guy. I got an Echo. I'm oh, a bit yeah. of a yeah. I'm all over the map, but yeah. I'm just curious. Like, how would you how would you describe the action on that blank? It's yeah, it's bendy. Like you're gonna, you know, there are a few times where you're literally like at the end trying to muscle in your fish, and I've got my hand halfway up the shaft of the rod because I'm like, oh god, I'm not losing this fish, right? Like, there are times where I'm thinking to myself, like, oh man, if I could just get something that was a little less fast action, sure. But, um, it's, it's working for me. Uh, but again, like I hesitate to recommend a- anything in terms of like rod land. Cause it's so personal. It's like a car, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, what one person thinks is awesome is like someone else's death trap. Like you're sort yeah. of like, okay, True. like you, you know, rods, you do you, um, you know, I've lucked out with what I've chosen in terms of rods, but most of the the remainder of what I've what I'm fishing with primarily on still water is is the Reddington lines, um, you know, because at the time when I was investing in in a lot of this, I was like, well, I could spend a lot of pennies on like one good rod, or I can spread this across and you know, kind of you could get a rod for this, and you can get a rod for that, and you can get a rod for that, and that's kind of what I looked at. I was like, all right, what can help cover more water with more ability? So, yeah, that's, well that's kind of, that's kind of how I like determined the rods. I mean, mm-hmm. as I get older, the more pennies I save, sure. Yeah. I'll invest in some, some really nice rods, but that's, you know, that's, I'd rather just get out there. Well, and, and it doesn't and really, with good rods. it doesn't really change what we're doing. 
right? Like, no, the fish, no, no. The fish don't give a crap. But no, you but may... I would say like, you know, lion, lions, for example, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you'd want to invest in a good line, right? Um, you know, yeah. and eventually, yeah, your rods will, will matter too, because the more you get better at your casting or the better you get at just you know, fly fishing in general, then yeah, you, you will outgrow certain things that you've been using. Um, and then there's other go-tos that you're just like, man, this is like the best rod I ever, you know, I've ever owned and I'm never giving this up. Right. You'll laugh cause I'm a winemaker by day. So when people ask me what's a good value wine, it's like fly rod. It's like, you know what? You can go and spend $6,000 on a yeah. bottle of wine. It doesn't mean you're going to like it. You may hate it, but yeah. it's rare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, and, and the same with the split cane, the same with, it's like, use what works for you. If it was 60 bucks at Cabela's, then all the power to you. But I just, for me, where I struggle on rods is, okay, so when I'm talking in, in I'm talking like $1,200 rods. Yeah. I, there's not a lot of value there for me because I've, I've been there and believe me, that's my go-to rod. But when I look back and I go, I got this one for 250 but I fish it as much. Uh, yeah, as, I've, yeah know, if not more, right? Like yeah. the Helios or the, like those lines are just like, holy smokes. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're light, they're, they're fast. They're, they're beautiful. Like, they, yeah, te- technically they're going to be a, like, yeah, obviously they're going to enhance your fishing experience. But realistically, what do you want to do? You want to spend a lot of money. Like, I'm just thinking from a baseline. Like if I were to restart fly fishing tomorrow, what, what would I like to do? Would I like to just try and get out on the water as much as possible, which is always my goal? than spending a whack ton on one thing and then not actually being able to afford to stay anywhere to then go said fishing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a finite balance. Like, and it's, like I said, it's a lifetime of building up an arsenal of, you know, things that you use that you, you know, you do invest in some important pieces. Um, and other times, yeah, you just know that you're going to outgrow this or you're going to sell this and you're going to move forward with it. So for me, the, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, but the craft that you're Mm -hmm. in, that you're in is more important than the rod that you're holding. So in other words, you could spend $200, $300 and get a perfectly good rod. But if you don't have the means to get on the water and you're casting on the shore, then you're back in, you know, the dinosaur days. You need to get out there. Yeah. So if you can spend four or five hundred dollars on a craft to get you out there, that's that's a game changer. Well, yeah, and like this is the thing, right? Is like, um, yeah, like it's it's such an interesting discussion because like I do see the value in investing in the expensive pieces, like I truly do. But then I also think about much more of my own context and experience, which has been, um, you know, when first getting into fly fishing what what did dad buy for me like as a it was a christmas gift it still is for sale if anyone's interested i think it's like 59.99 on amazon it is the pink nine foot five weight elegant um on amazon like but that thing i still fish with because that thing's a beast it's so stiff it's literally like fly fishing with an ugly stick but i will tell you that there have been several fish in my lifetime on that rod that if I had not had that kind of rod to muscle it in, I would have lost like a fish of a lifetime. I had, and that's a $60 rod, right? Like I had somebody on the show and they said, you know, we spend um, like, you know, 1200 bucks on our, on our pontoon boat or whatever. We spend $1,200 on a rod. We spend eight, four to $500 on a pair of waders and we spend a buck 50 on the fly. 
And yeah. <laughs> what is the fish? What is the fish seeing? No, the fish is seeing the presentation. <laughs> like you better just... hope that's tied super nice. Or, you know, again, arguably sometimes the ugliest fly is what the trout are going to come and eat. Like it's just yep. that. <laughs> but it's but it's for me. It's the tip it out. Okay, so what's on the fly? Oh, yeah. is the most important. What what you're using before the fly is the second most <laughs> yeah. important. The rod is in there, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's a funny game, and for me, the reel is almost last. It's like as long as it has a half decent drag, I'm yeah. okay with it. It doesn't have to be crazy, crazy expensive. Yeah, no, it's funny too because I got I got flack on some of my reels too. Like this is again, you know, kind of the weirdness of Insta world is like you know someone's like commenting about like what are you doing like using a behemoth like this is like Reddington's like it's a thick reel, but I use it for a reason because it's got my sink line on it. And I want something that can help with the muscle and offset the nine foot five so that I'm not snapping. Like, you know, if anyone has ever snapped a rod, it is literally a gunshot, right? Like no one wants to hear that sound. Um, and yeah, people are like, why would you ever like fish with such a heavy reel? And I'm thinking like, who cares? Let me fish with my heavy reel. I don't care. I like it. (laughs) Right. Like who cares? But yeah, the same thing went for the pontoon. The pontoon was like a trout unlimited, bought at Costco. I think it was like 250. That thing has seen so much water. It survived like gale force winds on Ross Lake Reservoir like one summer. Holy smokes, I almost didn't come back in. <laughs> um, you know, like again, it's just, you know, you do what you can with what you have in order to just get out there. Yeah. That's that's what I say. Amen. Like and 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 you can and you can enjoy spending your your hard-earned money on the things that you, you really want to, uh, you know, when you can, right. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you save the pennies, you do it right. Like, would I, will I be saving pennies for a water master for sure? Because I finally finally got to try one, right? Like I thought these rafts are so cool. And I was like, man, you know, so having the privilege of being able to test one out, I was just like, Oh man, I'm going to have to save my money. That's my next craft. Game changer. Yeah. I, I love those boats and I just, I got away from the inflatables. I got a journey and I love it. It's awesome, Mm -hmm. but I want something that I'm on my own in. So in other words, yeah, I don't need anybody else. So if it's, if the water master, you can be in the water, you got the ore system because I had Scaddens for years and outcasts and you name a brand I've had it. Yeah. And, uh, I haven't seen a better, a better, inflatable craft than the water master yeah i was i was really impressed um it was funny though because you know you're not like for me because i've i've never used a float tube i had only been above water like pontoon or or in boat um getting used to the mechanics of paddling for yourself i remember like the first day we we went out on the lake and I was literally like, I swear to God, I tweaked my knee. I was like, what have I done? Like (laughs) so old. So I had to like learn basically to be paddling almost like in a bicycle mode so that I wouldn't like put my knee out. And I was like, Oh man, yeah, yeah, these are things I got to learn. Right. And, um, but I loved being that close to the water, um, you know, again for, you know, practical reasons, but also just for fish health, like just being able to release them a lot closer to the water is awesome. Um, well, I was going to say how close when, when you, and that's why I love the journey, but when you lean over yeah. in your craft to take a pick, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, some vessels are, you know, it, it feels like a canoe more than it does it, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like if you're in those like John boats, like you're fine. Like those things are going to be, those are great. But like if you're, or the Illumina craft, those guys, those are all super sturdy. But like our 10 foot wooden pram, like good luck. Like literally I've had to tell my dad, like lean left so that I can, <laughs> yeah. so I can lean right. And so that we can, you know, we have that proper ballast, but it's, um, you know, the, the wooden pram is for us, like as a boat and craft is much more of a, it's, it's more now like a nostalgia, like we're kind of at a precipice of knowing that we need a bigger craft going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least something a bit more stable if the two of us are to, to continue to fish together, which I know that's our intention. Um, but yeah, the water master for sure is on the wish list. Uh, if water master or Santa are listening, like, please, I'm saving my pennies. I'm trying hard. Um, cause yeah, like I just really liked how stable it was. Um, you know, you can lean right over it and it's still, it's still fine. I liked the, the back, the Kodiak was cool. Cause I was thinking like, man, Nora would love, like my bulldog would love to just hang out in the back. And, and she's such a trout enthusiast. Like she's watching for rises. She pays such close attention. She's, she loves seeing the trout. Um, yeah, she's, she's a great little trout associate. How so, old's your dog? Nora has turned eight this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's hard to believe like, you know, technically she's hit like the first era of the like first phase of seniorhood and you're just like, damn it, dog. Like you gotta live forever. Like that's how that has to work for me right now. Cause she's my heart and soul. Well, she's my, she's my kid. The first time your name came up in my world, I was, I was staying at a cabin Oh, you, yeah. you had just left and I think you messaged me on Instagram and said, I was looking at that view yesterday and I'm like, Oh crap. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you had a picture of your, your bulldog on the porch there in the sunset, but I was like, yeah, man, that's a pretty sweet place. So. Yeah. Oh man, that is that, that yeah. Seven so, half diamond is such a special, that's yeah. such a special place for dad. And I, dad, dad had actually started going there before I showed, showed up and um, yeah, like I can't say enough, enough really nice things about Heather, Jim and Justin O'Connor, like just such yeah. a, such a wonderful family and so generous and, um, just, uh, so accommodating and just, just all around awesome. Yeah. For those that don't know what we're talking about is, uh, Jim and Heather have a ranch, um, in Aspen Grove, British Columbia. It's just kind of North of Princeton, but it's between Princeton and Merritt on highway 5A and it's called Seven Half Diamond, and they've got a private lake there. They got two cabins, and they're just uh, to me that's just like heaven. Like I, oh yeah, you know, yeah. You got those steers, those steers staring you in the eye when you're having your beer there on the patio, your, your <laughs> yeah. barbecue and steak. Looking at them, feeling really, really bad. I know they're they're awesome. It's so funny too because they're just like there's some of them are so friendly. Like they'll come right down in the morning. Nora comes out and sees them on the porch, and she kind of just lets out like one tiny bark, and then she kind of sits there being like, "Hmm, all right, you guys didn't move. Cool, cool. Like we're just gonna <laughs> hang out together, yeah. right?" Whereas, yeah. um, it's just yeah, it's just such a beautiful place. But it's just been such a such a healing place for Dad and I to be able to to get up there um, a few times this year in particular and just have that time out on the water. Did you ever take your mom there? No, Mom did not have the opportunity to to get up to the ranch. Um, fishing yeah. fishing for Mom was like never really like her thing. Um, my mom grew up in Wolverhampton uh, 
in England and came over uh, as a 13 year old, basically to BC. Um, I don't know why her mom decided that hope BC would be like the place. Hmm. Um, but that's where they decided to land and stay. And that's how my parents both met and obviously started met each other in high school. So they're high school sweethearts. Hope high BC. Hey man, um, I used to work at CKGO and hope that was my yeah, first, there you that go. Was my first there you radio go. job. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's how they met. And, hmm. uh, and then my cool. mom went off to university and dad went off to vocational college, uh, down t- like downtown Vancouver as well, kind of like an electrician by trade. And then, yeah, he's, uh, we, we took mom fishing. I think her last fishing trip was Corbett Lake actually. Wow. That's, um, that's a doozy. Yeah. Um, we, we took her, we took her to Corbett. This would have been, oh man, I was probably about 12. And I just remember her being like, this is not my thing. This is you and your dad thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but that's kind of cool too, right? She recognized yeah. it. and it's, yeah, Oh cool. yeah. No, lots of, lots of good things. Lots of good memories with, with mom, but fishing is nice. definitely a, a dad and I kind of, that, that's our, that's our meditation. That's like our, yeah. our thing to do together. Well, we do lots of, lots of stuff together, but like, cause we're, we're, we're pretty good buds, but uh, yeah, fishing's kind of our thing. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to ask you to put on your artist hat and paint us a picture of your, so your dream day, I assume it's probably still water, um, judging by where you're headed, but paint us a picture. What does your perfect day look like? What, you know, is it Corbett? Is it seven and a half diamond? Is it, is it a lake that we don't want to name in the interior? You know, what, what do you have to drink in the morning? What kind of fish are you chasing? What kind of flies are you throwing? Just, just walk us through that a little bit. I just think that it has to involve like some kind of gorgeous topography. Like this got to it's got to be mostly about the area in which you're fishing. I think for me, like obviously some friendly skies and some nice water levels would be great, whether it's river or lake. Um, obviously it would be nice if the fish were biting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bonus. Yeah, I, there's nothing more exciting than obviously like fish you know when they're catching on the dries that's amazing i lost so many fish on the skagit one year because i was just too busy like watching them take the fly and was like whoa and then would lose the fish because i wouldn't set the hook um but yeah perfect day is just like yeah just getting just being out there i think is the most important piece of a perfect day making sure that you've you've really paid attention to where you are um everything from the aesthetic of where you are to, I don't know, for me, it's even, uh, somatic. So it's like how you're feeling in your body. So, you know, you'll notice right away, like at least I do for fishing, like my breathing slows down automatically and that there's just this sense of, of, of relaxation that you're only thinking in the moment. You, You know, if, if my only concern of the day is what, fly to try next then that is a perfect day because my attention is drawn only to basically a funneled vision of what's happening in in the world in front of me in the water Mm, i like that that's well said you kind of get the blinders on but at the same time you don't have the blinders on you know you're observing stuff around you but you kind of block the rest of life there's nothing more exciting than you know getting down on your knees or leaning down and taking a look at like what's in the water, looking at the entomology, paying attention to the bugs, 
lift up a few rocks, see what's going on. If you're on the river, it's so fun to, to find stoneflies. <laughs> like just, just the simplistic nature of, of, of paying really close attention to the finite details in front of you. Like if you're really paying attention to where you are fishing, then that's the most important part of the day because then you're in it. I don't know if that makes sense, but oh, that makes sense. You're part of it. Yeah. 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 Like that, there, that there's no longer a, a dichotomized way of, of being in this space. This is about being, uh, this is cohesive. You're now being very much a part of the ecosystem or the ecology of the land that you're on while you're being a part of this. Right. You know, because when you leave, well, the fish are still going to go by and life moves on, but you being in that space in that time and enjoying it, paying attention to how you're feeling and, and, and maybe enjoying the company you're with. I mean, these are all aspects to like a perfect day, you know, I I wouldn't even need to catch fish. I mean, it's nice. Is there coffee in the morning? Is there something warm to drink at night? What's going on there? Oh yeah. Coffee is my vice. I love coffee. Um, what's your go-to, what's your go-to coffee? You know what? Kind of plain Jane. And I used to work for Starbucks for several years. I was I was a shift manager there. So like you kind of get used to making some pretty creative drinks, but I still just go for an Americano. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm pretty like, yeah, Americano with some kind of milk. Although I did get into the cold pumpkin cold foam phase and oh man, so tasty. But I tell you, those coffees are expensive. So I, yeah. I listen to my girls order coffee at Starbucks. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I love the Americano, but they're like the latte, so you actually, frappe, like you, latte, yeah, like, saute. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. When you go to Starbucks, like when you when you work at Starbucks, you actually go to to coffee school. Like when I went when I started working for Starbucks, they sent you to their corporate their head head corporate office in Vancouver for like three weeks. And that's all you did was you tasted all the coffees you had to write down in like your like literally like a fishing log, but a coffee log. And you're putting all the the flavors in and the hints and the notes and paying really close. It's like, you know, like wine, very similar in terms mm-hmm. of this con- this connoisseurship of understanding how how coffee works and you know different aspects to the brews and and uh, processing of the beans. So you learn all of that before you even learn how the orders of a coffee are, are put forward in Starbucks land. So hmm. it was awesome. Like it was a really good job, yeah. um, you know. But it it started to get a little too um, too hectic. Like people having tantrums over like you know no cinnamon left. You know it's like whoa. All right, calm down, calm down. So. <laughs> This, this is a first yeah, world like, problem. This is a first world problem. Yeah, for sure. So like just, yeah, slinging coffee was an excellent job to have while, you know, working and, and like going to university. So it was good. But yeah, you know, you never forget how to order a coffee once you go to coffee school. You're like, oh, I know. Oh, I bet. Hmm. Yeah. So cool. mm-hmm. do you do a lot of fly tying? I don't. I, I was taught. So a colleague of mine, um, we don't teach together anymore at the same school, but we're literally just like a school apart. Um, when COVID hit, our whole plan had been, he was going to show me how to tie flies and I was super stoked. So we ended up kind of having to meet outside for a bit while COVID was like calming itself down. And, um, we, uh, yeah, he showed me at least how to tie my favorite pattern, which is that egg sucking leech. And, uh, so I know how to tie that. But unfortunately, because of my time constraints with like my ongoing writing and projects, I just haven't 
I haven't invested the time yet to uh, get into tying, but I do love the feeling when you catch a fish on your own fly that you've tied. Like there's no better feeling. Like it's just such an accomplishment. You're like, yeah, I tied this, you know, like it's, just, it's, it's cool. Um, you certainly, you know, you're going to go poor tying. Like it's expensive. Yeah, um, that's true. but then, but then you also really appreciate the craft, like the stuff that Deb Pascal is making. Like, you're just like, whoa, like that's amazing. Uh, Catliflam ties, beautiful river flies, like just having an appreciation for what people tie and be able to pay for that. Right. Like that, that I appreciate actually more than even getting into tying my own. Right. Like I, I, I will, I'll pay lots of money for other friends to tie. Nikki ties amazing flies too. Like it's just, um, yeah, like it's such an art. And I think eventually that will be a part of the progression naturally of again, moving forward in, in the life of, of fly fishing for me. Um, but yeah, I got to finish. I got to put down a few projects first. Although I did buy like my angling desk of my dreams. It's in storage right now, but I did manage to find like one of those old school roll top nice. oak, um, yeah. oak and brass desks. Um, cool. you know, dad had been scouring marketplace for weeks cause he had found one mint and suckered me into helping him move it to the house. And then I was like, man, I'm like, you found my desk. Cause this is how it works with dad. And I, I see something cool and shiny and then he thinks it's cool and shiny and then we both have to have it or vice versa. He thinks something is cool and shiny. And then I'm like, well, I think that's cool and shiny. And then I have to have it. So like case in point, I finally invested in a fishing bib for like fall stillwater fishing. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. This whole like one pants situation, it kind of reminds me of like Thomas's snowsuit, like that old Robert Munch book. Mm -hmm. But I got the fishing bib and I was so stoked on it. And as soon as my dad saw how stoked I was on it, there he is like online looking through like Sims, like looking through their challenger line, like, oh yeah, I could get behind this. Like he's so funny. <laughs> that is, right. That, that is funny. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we we're similar. So the desk yeah. was the same thing, right? Like it, dad was like, well, he, dad knows how to tie, um, and could probably show me a thing or two. Um, he's got the vice and everything all set up on his desk now, but well, do you know um, what, cat? I love about yeah. it is it's something to do in the winter when you really can't fish. Right? And yet in BC, I'm like, well, I'll be fishing rivers well into November, December, especially into Squamish system. Stop rubbing and it then, in. I know, I'm pretty I know, I'm much sorry. done now. <laughs> I know. But like, but to have the privilege of that, it's sort of like, again, like I said, it's like that never summer aspect of snowboarding. It's the same thing for fishing. Like you've got, you know, depending on where you live, like trying to find that access. And for me, at least, um, I have that. So yeah, I don't, I don't have to hibernate in tying world luckily. Um, but I get it. Like, well, I Vancouver really is one of those rare cities where you can go golf and the same day you go skiing Oh, it's the best fly fishing, right? It's the best. Yeah. Like growing up, uh, in North van, we used to have like a little like soccer league, just, you know, just like beer league style, you know, show up on a Sunday until the municipality finally kicked us out like years ago. And, um, cause man, I tell you like heaven forbid, you just want to go play in a park in North Vancouver, <laughs> like good luck. Like you have to have permit for everything now. But anyways, back in the day you could, we, you know, we just had a pickup game and like, yeah, like I would teach snowboarding in the morning and then drive down the hill and be playing soccer in the afternoon. Like it's just such a crazy privilege. 
It's cool. I, w- I want to ask you a philosophical question, Kat. Is is like in this whole fly fishing thing that you're caught up in, that we're all caught up in, is there something about the fly fishing world that kind of irks you? Or is, or is there something you think that maybe we could be doing a little better than we are? Um, honestly, I don't know enough to comment on it. Like in the sense that, uh, I think my biggest exposure to things that I'm like, whoa, okay, that's not in alignment with what, where I see myself in fly fishing is probably mostly through a social media lens. Um, so aspects of fishing culture in general, maybe not fly fishing, but just like, you know, the whole like, uh, ripping lips or, you know, like holding fish out for like giant trophy pictures for like 20 minutes. And then they put the fish in and that fish is dead, you know, like stuff like that bothers me. Sure. Um, but I try to limit my exposure to seeing that kind of stuff socially. And I obviously, you know, the company I keep, uh, people are in alignment with the fishing style, right? So Mm -hmm. trying your best to keep fish wet, or, you know, it's, it's a five second hold up rule and make sure the fish is, is good to go. Um, you know, just a single hook barbless, obviously. I mean, for the most part in BC, you, you can't do anything other than that, but it does surprise me. I have been on larger lakes in the past, um, where people come out with these, you know, like, I hate to say it cause it's, it is a very East coast, like Canadian tire, like you go to Canadian tire you're still seeing a bunch of East coast product, right? Like who in BC right now is like using a treble hook yeah, on, it's a funny. Still, on an interior still water Lake. Like, uh, nobody. Yeah. I used so, to manage a Canadian tire sporting goods store and I know exactly what you're talking about. Right? In fact, I tried to get them to change it. And yeah, they can't get away from it. That's the hard part of that, of that model, right? Like, I mean, you would obviously know way more, but it just, that would probably be the only thing that I'm just like, hot damn, like know your regulations and 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 be within them like you know at the end of the day like uh, again to go back to the philosophy that I, I ascribed to in fly fishing is that you when you catch a fish and you have that fish in the net this is still a sentient being this is looking up at you hoping that you're gonna make what I would consider to be a, the right decision to put you back right that there's that the or that you're harvesting for the right reasons or that you are, you are in your right of harvesting, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, yeah. I'm, I'm not anti hunt. I'm not anti like, uh, no, but I just have these, uh, I do have a strong, strong sense of, um, you know, philosophically in a way you have this privilege of, you can let this, this being live and you can put them back. That's fine. Yeah. Or if you're choosing to harvest, you're doing it properly. Yeah. being as uh, being as respectful as possible um and just knowing your i just think all of that just comes back to knowing your regulations mm-hmm. okay like I, I just just play fair um yeah. and i think for the most part people do there's just you know you run into like the occasional like oh man like really like what are you doing with treble hooks like in pro- like provincial interior parks and you're like no 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 like have you like don't do it don't do it well that's that has been a thing that used to drive me nuts so uh... I, I, like I said, I was a sporting goods manager at a, at a big, well, a Canadian tire. And so, <laughs> so, so everything that we had was Eastern based. So they got all these walleye lures and pickerel rigs. I'm like, 
Yeah. That's all well and good, but we don't actually have any pickerel out here. So, you know, yeah, why are we carrying it? Exactly. So, <laughs> and that, that was a big move actually that, 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 um, store did, um, back in the day, they, they used to come up with, they call them 99 numbers. So they're like, being, yeah. they'd be like, Mark, what do you want to bring in? I go, I want to bring in fly rods. I want to bring in some pontoon boats. I want to bring in some waders. So I had, I had, I had, we were one of the first stores to do this probably in That's the country. So cool. Yeah. This was in, I don't remember the year. 89, 90, yeah. somewhere in there. Anyway, so we had, we had all these pontoon boats and up on the wall and, 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 and tried to make it more like a small shop feel. And I, I miss that because I, man, I used to have some great chats with people, but it's, um, it's a funny business, but you, you I think you hit it on the head. No, kind of know the region you're in. Like, yeah, um, treble, yeah, like treble know, hooks know what's going on. Essentially a thing of the past in, in most, you know what I mean? It's not, we're not yeah. using those in many places anymore. So, yeah. Um, or just, just educate yourself, right? Like it's, yeah. it's sort of like, you know, like anything that you want to outset to do, um, you know, have, have that kind of environmental steward, uh, kind of mentality of like, well, you're going to go out there. So what should you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and regs. don't be, a f- yeah. And don't, and if you don't like, honestly, I've read regs before that I'm just like, I have no idea what this means. Oh, they're confusing as hell. Yeah. So then, yeah. you know, okay, fine. I'm going to go out, like go to your local fly shops, ask. Yeah. Um, and they know, change. They change. Oh yeah. Some quickly. of them change on a dime. So you're like, oh man. Okay. So, yeah. You know, just being aware of that is really good. Um, obviously, support your local guides. Your guides are going to be a great source of information um, and can certainly help you out because especially if you're discovering or exploring new water, um, yeah. you know, you might not want to go out by yourself. It just depends on, your obviously, your level of comfortability. But in, in my context, I, I'm definitely going to hire a guide. I, I would definitely want to work with someone who has an expertise in that area and that environment and can talk to me about the stewardship and the expectations of what, you know, you should be using versus what you shouldn't. Um, and just learning along the way, you know, like we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to, you know, you know, it's just, it's par for the course, but just knowing and doing better the next time is Mm, kind of, kind of that, that piece. Right. And that's all we're we're all trying to do that. Right. I think of things I did when I was a kid that, (laughs) Oh yeah. You're you're like shaking your head. Like doing that now. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean like some, I can't remember who it was. I was, t- I was talking to someone who, um, like just wasn't in fishy world, right? Like they just, they're curious, but they're sort of like, well, if you don't, if, if you pinch the barb, then how does the fish stay on? And I'm like, well, that's the sport. Like, that, yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah. just cause I catch, like actually hook a fish doesn't necessarily guarantee that this puppy's coming in. Like yeah. Yeah. there's not <laughs> there's two gonna... trebles hanging off. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's sort of, no, know. you know, and uh, we've yeah. all been there where we've like, you know, you lose fish and you're just like, damn, yeah. but you know, it, that's, but that's a part of it. That's a part of the experience. I love it. I, I, yeah. really, I really appreciate you taking the time today. So Kat, I, I want you to throw out your social media. So um, we've been chatting tonight with Kat Mulski, Cat on the fly. She's a teacher by day, avid fly fisher covering a lot of water in the interior of British Columbia and the coast. Um, Kat, where do we find you on Instagram? Oh um, yeah. Just uh, at Kath on the fly. So K A T H O N F L Y. Beauty. Path on the fly. Yeah. Thanks for doing this tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mark. It was awesome. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.